Welcome to The Pantry Party, a podcast celebrating innovation, food and life in the health and well-being industry. We're your hosts, Liza and Bran, and today we are talking to Tess Handrinos. If you heard that cute little noise when Bran was talking before, that was it was the couch. the couch. <laughs> Promise Brother. nothing sus is going on here. Um, Tess is one of, another one of our good mates from uni. Um, we wouldn't have met until... Second year. Second year, because mm-hmm. she had... As you'll find out in the episode, a little bit of a different pathway to get to where we were. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got to know her because, fun fact, we were on the Monash Nutrition and Dietetic Society committee together. Tess was treasurer and I was secretary, so we actually had to spend a lot of time together. Um, which was probably how I got to know her the most, to be honest. And I'm going to be super honest and say it was a really good way to meet other people mm. from like our, our course that... Um, I hadn't really been friends with before, I guess, in the best possible way. Yeah. <laughs> like Nutrition degrees are always super small and clicky. And yes. not clicky in the sense that like everyone hates each other, just that everyone has their friends and it's really hard to kind of get out of that because you have a lot of group projects that you're yeah. doing and like everyone kind of ends up working together in the same groups. Yeah. Um, oh, and also the president, this is another fun fact, is Roxanne, who was episode two of us this season. Oh, there we go. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Cool. So, yeah, so that's how we know Tess. Um, She introduces herself really well, talks about balancing motherhood um, and her career and doing multiple things in her career and trying to figure out how to balance all of that and how she's gone about that. Um, I recently listened to this episode again and was, I, I really enjoyed listening to it. I think I just, this is going to sound real late, but it just sounded like the three of us were just catching up about work things, which yeah. is very cute. Yeah. Tess is like just in general so wholesome and oh, her yeah. family is so cute. And like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, when I, the first real, like, I guess not contact that I have, that sounds weird, but like the first real, like, um, Interaction. Interaction and like working together thing that we did together, Tess mm. and I, was when we were on placement in third year doing our food service placement. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was quite big, a group, like a big group of us. So it wasn't like yeah. it was just the two of us working on this thing, but like she was pregnant with Amelia at the time. Which is hilarious because now she's pregnant. Yeah. And, like she will be giving birth soon when this episode goes up. This or will she might out. have already given birth. Maybe. Yeah. We're trying to get our dates right. We're, we're, we're recording this a few weeks in the past to you. So congrats, Tess, if you've already given birth. And <laughs> if not, we're waiting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think that's a cute little, like, yeah. full circle moment. And, yeah, Tess is just gorgeous in general. So I'm really glad that we got to include her in this group and have also, a nice chat. I think just show, like, the realities of yeah. studying and, I guess, in the best possible way, being a bit older and being in a different stage in your life to a lot of other people in the cohort. Actually, in, in saying that, I think our cohort were not necessarily balanced, but we're about like a 75-25% in terms of people who come just out of school, or like in those first few-ish yeah. years, and then a bit, like a bit older, or like done a couple yeah, of years Yeah, 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 or like done a different degree and come in, or done something else, yeah. Yeah, so it was nice to sort of, I think, pick that apart a little bit and mm-hmm. see where her priorities were, and that it's okay to shift things along the way yeah. and things come up and you have to deal with that and um, I think sometimes we all have a bit of an idea of how our career is going to go and you kind of freak out when it doesn't go to that plan and I think Tess is a fabulous example of how her life's great, it's all worked out the way that it's supposed yeah. to even though she, I don't know if she intended for it to go that way but she's taking a little bit of a different pathway and I think it's yeah. important for us having not had that experience mm. to seek out that and talk to people who have gone through that because I mean for every person there is like you and me there'd be another person like Tess going through that degree and I think I mean it's just one of those things that we as women have to account for having kids and having a family and balancing all of this together and so and balancing it with your partner as well yeah yeah that's something that Tess touches on really well um and that I'm actually not the proud's not the right word, but I'm very respectful of her oh, for yeah. the way that she's handled that and been yeah. able to not necessarily put her career first at all times, which is a very admirable thing to do yeah. in today's but society. She's <laughs> had a very good balance with it all, which yeah. I think is really, really nice. So, yeah, I think it was it was a really good chat, and I'm really glad that we got to 
have her on the podcast and hear her voice and have her opinions and yep. ideas thrown around because I think she's got a very good approach to nutrition as well in terms of like she's not too far over one side or yeah. do it, you know. Agreed. Yeah. So hopefully you enjoy this episode as much as we do. As always, all links and everything will be in the show notes down yep. below if you want to find her, find her cute pictures of babies yeah. and dogs or dog singular who you will hear at the start of this episode. So without further ado, <laughs> here is our episode with Tess Andrinos. Say hello. 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 Thank How you are you? Coming. Good. Come in. Hello. you but our viewers don't we're gonna go through a bit of a fast five like get to know get to know you questions. questions um so we're just gonna jump straight into it so that we can get on with it <laughs> um first question big one for the pantry party is what are your three cannot live without pantry items okay definitely olive oil go through way too much of it um cinnamon and also vanilla yeah like, yeah oh yeah hmm yeah, yeah, I see that. What's your favourite, it's going to sound so nerdy, your favourite olive oil brand? Well, this is very, it's not a brand, well, there's two brands, so I'm very lucky that I have um, family and friends who have their own olive groves and make their own olive oil. Oh, so amazing. Sandy Creek Olive Oil is amazing, thank you Annie and Brendan, um, and then <laughs> also, <well>. yeah, <laughs> um, and also Will and Lena make the most divine olive oil from Mansfield as well. So they will be my favourites. Amazing. Yes. You're not even a, not a Cobram or No, a please. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> All right. What is your favourite self-care strategy? Uh, favourite self-care strategy is doing a little bit of yoga before bed. Mm. Do you do it often? Because I've tried to get into stretching before bed but I'm so hard I just want to sleep I want to sleep and then also I'll have a dog outside scratching at the door wanting to come in which really takes away from my zen your dog not a dog it's it's my dog that's annoyed that I'm on the floor and he's not on like literally next to me so yeah um okay question number three if you're going to like a dinner party or something what's your go-to dish to bring okay i'll always bring a dessert because that is my forte um currently i will talk about the dish that i've made today and it's an apple um sicilian apple tort oh mm. can't wow. wait to dig into mm. that once we finish this yes <laughs> or i'm allowed to have two or it'll be nigella lawson's flourless chocolate olive oil cake yeah. as well as yeah i love yeah. a good chocolate olive oil yeah cake. Um, in the theme of the pantry party, mm. what was your most memorable birthday party, party, event, wedding that you've been to? My own wedding would have to be. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little. I'm, you're really proud of your wedding. I, I am. It was, it, was, it was beautiful. It was four years ago. Um, yes, yeah, so it was my favourite, by far my favourite party or event that we threw. By far the most expensive one too. Um, but it was nice. It integrated both of our lives into, into the day. We even had like the bomboniere was, um, we had fruit and veggies along the table as like our table decorations and little um, jars of herbs with like the name tags on it. So people got to take That's those so home cute. as well. So um, definitely idea. always something food themed in there for both of us. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, nice. Um, and question five of the fast five is what are you currently into? Oh, a whole lot of sleeping. <laughs> um, <laughs> but also, um, probably at the moment, I enjoy the time that I have with Alex um, sitting on the couch watching The Blacklist. No, what's The Blacklist? It's terrible acting, terrible. It's about like an FBI agent and a fugitive. Um, but we keep watching it. I think we're into season five, four, oh five. Is it like consuming? Like, is it a... You actually have to, you have pay, to pay attention? attention. No, yeah. no. We've been planning our trip to France on the side. No, <laughs> no, not. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be a part um, of this podcast. So, my name is Tess. I'm an accredited practicing dietitian. Um, I practice as a non-diet dietitian. Um, I work in both the clinical sector also in private practice and I also run my own business on the side as well um and alongside that I'm a mum of one and a half (laughs) (laughs) a 
half days. Um, so, I'm quite, so I'm quite busy, but um, that, that's me. We're super excited to have you on because you kind of have a different perspective to us especially and then a lot of people in the area we've kind of like aimed to try and get a quite quite a broad range of people on so I guess for you we wanted to talk about how you balance everything and how that all kind of fits in the effect mm. that that's had on you so um should we jump into it yes absolutely I'm gonna start with the stock standard which is <laughs> why did you choose dietetics is why, your career yeah so why did I choose dietetics it's um really interesting I guess it's probably something that isn't really spoken about a lot in the dietetics world, but it's very common that people who study dietetics have had a background of an eating disorder or disordered eating, um, and that they might come into the profession as a way of recovery or a way of helping others. So I guess it's something I've never really spoken about, and it's not something I really want to speak too much about, um, but I guess that's kind of the background that I'm coming from. Um, and I came in, I guess, wanting to help others. Um, one dietitian that I follow on Instagram um, also has a similar story to me. Um, I don't know if you follow Lauren Newman at all. Um, go feed yourself. Yeah, she's an American sure. yes, dietitian. Yes. Um, and I guess she makes a really valid point that she also has a history of disordered eating or an eating disorder, um, but she's not going to share her story um, because the eating disorder population is saturated by um, influences of. I guess thin or white privileged women um, and I guess I would just be adding to that space so I'm trying to make room for people that don't fit in to um, that aesthetic so they can come and share their story too because eating disorders affect everybody and mm. um, we need to hear more of that so yeah. I guess yeah. that's kind of how I got into dietetics. Yeah. So. And super important to acknowledge that like while you're not going to share it, it does give you a lot of personal experience to kind of relate to your clients. and mm. Absolutely, and I guess anyone that does identify um, in a similar setting to me, I guess, mm. your story is still really valid, um, but I'm just not going to go into that if yeah. that's okay. I guess from more of a professional point of view, um, what was your sort of background educationally that led you to dietetics? Because mm. you were not the Meanwhile, you're a bit older, like I in, I, I, I am, I'm a mature age student, so I didn't, I didn't come straight from school, so I guess yes. um, I initially started off studying, I didn't, in, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, I guess dietetics was always in my background, but I kind of told myself I didn't want to do it, if that kind of made sense, so I went and did a diploma of health science, and then I started to do a bachelor of health science, and in amongst that I took some time off and worked full time in retail, um, and then it kind of awaken my senses that no, this is what I really want to do. Um, and so I did all the prerequisites in my health science degree because I didn't do chem at school. Um, and then I transferred over to the Bachelor of Nutrition and Dietetics at Monash, um, where I got some credits for some of my units and that's kind of where I've gone from there. So it's taken me 10 years in the process to get my degree, <laughs> but we're finally there. So I guess it all kind of works out the best. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've mentioned your where you're at now with your career, but do you mm -hmm. want to talk a little bit about why you've chosen to take the path that you have and where you see that going in the future? Absolutely. So I guess one of the great things about dietetics being such, I guess, a female-dominated profession is that it is really family-friendly. So that's something that really um, was appealing to me. I guess my concern graduating was that most, for example, grade one clinical roles are full-time mm -hmm. and that's something that I never wanted to do. Well, not that I never wanted to do, just it's not right for me at this stage in my career. So I looked at other avenues of how I could create opportunities for myself, I guess. And so I was very much at the forefront that a job isn't going to be handed to me, so I need to make one myself. Um, so that's kind of how Joyful Nutrition evolved. Um, so that's kind of my business side of things was kind of getting the ball rolling getting um nutrition information out there the non-diet message out there as well and the ability to see i guess clients around my family schedule which is really good um and then the same with private practice as well i'm there two half days a week which is really fantastic so um that fits in well and then i'm just um working casually in the clinical sector too so um, it's kind of making it work, making it juggle, working in around um, my husband's shift work as well. Um, but we're getting there. So. Yeah. yeah. 
I guess that's a good thing about especially being a new grad for dietetics is that there's so much you can do as in everything's part-time so you can sort of stick your fingers in everything and work out what works for you absolutely so yeah I guess I never really saw myself going down a private practice role um and yet here we are <laughs> <laughs> yes and this could not be true for you at all but mm. especially during my experience anyway was that throughout uni we were like you're not going to get a job you're not going to get a job and mm. then I guess did that joyful nutrition come out of knowing that and trying to use it as an employability aspect mm. or was it totally a hobby no it was definitely a job prospect so I guess pre-joyful nutrition I was the emerging dietitian so I don't know if you used to read mm. my blog so that was more throughout uni that was kind of an outlet for me I just really enjoyed writing and creating recipes and I guess from that it emerged into joyful nutrition um, so I still have a blog section and a recipe section but then it's definitely more <clears throat> excuse me um, a business focus now of this is a way that I can generate an income um, and I guess that's kind of how it how it stemmed it was more uh, I'm going to be proactive in making sure that I'm employable um, and that I can still help people too if, it, um, if there's not work out there for me I guess that makes sense yeah yeah it's sort of and we've talked about this before but it's almost that your online presence especially as a dietitian is almost a portfolio like it's almost absolutely you may yeah absolutely so yeah it's it's very interesting to find the people that follow you or the people that comment <laughs> as well and um it's it's a fine line and I guess I've I've actually probably recently disengaged a little bit more from social media um than I previously been quite involved um, particularly when I was on the job hunt, I think that it was very consuming. Um, so, but I'm aware that by not being overly active on social media, that that can also affect my job prospects. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. Mm. But does it almost show that you've got a balance? Like, I feel like if you're not totally spending all your time on social media to potential employees, they can be like, look, she's obviously making an effort to break out into a different field but also maybe she's doing other things in her life. Like, yeah, absolutely. It's not that I'm on it 24-7. Yeah. I've got other things to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I guess it's being also confident in the message that you're portraying as well on social media. I guess it's something that definitely in our degrees we never covered <laughs> at all. Um, so I guess it can be quite scary to put yourself out there as well in a professional and I guess also a personal context. Yeah. Yes. Because, yeah. like, with this kind of work, it is very personal. Do you find that you get much feedback about that that challenges your opinions? Not, not a whole lot as of yet, um, but I'm sure it's coming. Yeah. <laughs> I think as I get more active in my social media, I have no doubt that that will, that will happen. Um, and I'm a person who thinks about things a lot, um, so I guess I need to work on some strategies on how I could disengage from mm. that. Um, because at the end of the day, you're still a person. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. And like a lot of us get into the non-diet approach because it is something that we're really passionate about and mm. personally identify with. And like I know from my experience, like I've had feedback where people have really been questioning my opinions. I don't know if you would have seen my post a couple of weeks ago about body positivity. Like, and like some of it's really great and people are willing to have conversations about it, but others are just trying to attack you for who you are. And it, it ends up being a really personal comment. And it's like, how do you disengage from that and say no that's actually my professional or in that context it wasn't really a professional opinion but you know how can you kind of separate that too yeah mm. and I think that's something that like is obviously with the rise of social media such a new concept mm. um that we're all kind of having to learn together it's kind of I had a good chat to someone who's doing their PhD in psychology and eating disorders the other day and we came up with this concept of would you trust a health professional who has like or would it influence your choice to go to a health professional who's gone through the same thing as you had and almost have that like do you want to see them totally objectively so they can analyze you clinically and help you out or would you almost want to have that emotional like empathy that they've obviously experienced with the same as you and does that should there be a line drawn should there be clinicians that don't have that personal experience because it sways the way they practice or but I suppose for us it's so food is such a personal thing that you can't draw that line like mm. I feel like it's really important to have some sort of personal opinion on a lot of things especially mm. with the non-diet approach yeah mm. and I think like the more involved you are in it 
the more you can kind of like have an opinion on it because obviously mm. you're experiencing it for yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what sort of drew you to the non-diet approach in a... Um, I feel like it was a lot of Fiona Sutherland's beautiful work. Um, I've met her on a few occasions and I've definitely told her that I'm a fangirl. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sorry for that, Fiona. Um, so I guess, again, in um, our dietetics course, I think we had one lecture from Fiona, if that. Mm. Um, luckily, I'd come across her work much earlier in my dietetics career, um, and it definitely resonated with me on both a personal and professional level. Um, I guess I then struggled throughout the rest of the degree being in such a weight-centric focus, even going through some of my like notes and my clinical case studies, just, just the way they're written just actually gives me anxiety now. Mm. Um, and thinking that that's the way... I, I don't even know, maybe 95% of our cohort might be practicing. And I know that they want to be practicing in an evidence-based way and that's doing right for their clients. Um, but ultimately that might not be the case, which terrifies mm. me a little bit. So um, I guess it sat with me just in terms of um, an inclusivity point of view um, and looking at the person purely as that a person. Um, and taking away any judgment, any labels. Um, and I just wish that there was more of that integrated into our degree. Um, I did enjoy actually fourth year where we got to do a few different advocacy pieces um, where I clearly stated my <laughs> views, um, which I was a bit concerned actually how I would be marked upon that, but it was actually quite refreshing. So um, yeah, that gave me a bit more liberty there. But um, that's definitely what drew me into it. I've since done um, Fiona Wheeler's non-diet training, which I've also loved. I'm finishing off those assignments. Uh, <laughs> um, and, yeah, slowly learning my way through. But it feels quite um, alone, I guess. It's quite a lonely, not a lonely way to practice, but I guess given where I'm at in my career, um, I've kind of struggled with that a little bit. Um, but I'm really grateful that I've got um, a wonderful mentor who is very non-diet approach and she's very um, established in her career so she has lots of great insight for me which is a wonderful assistance so, mm. yeah yes I think that's the only way to get that message across as well is surrounding yourself with people who are practicing in that way because like you say it can mm. be so lonely especially when a lot of friends are practicing clinically and seeing overweight patients in quotation marks and mm so weight-centric that like when you want to practice totally differently to that that is evidence-based somewhat emerging it feels really really isolating and almost Absolutely. you question yourself as well mm -hmm. a lot and I guess when it's so different as well I guess to what your patients are expecting you to practice um so I guess a really steep learning curve for me is actually having those conversations before the client even steps in the room so they know exactly how I practice and what the consultation will look like and if that aligns with their values too which is not an easy thing to do. No. Yes. Particularly when yeah. it's a source of income as well and you might yeah. potentially lose clients. So Yes, because yeah. you're both, uh, not, you're about to start yeah. chiropractic life. I will by the time this goes up. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully I'll have some clients. Is that like deterring to you? Because I know we've had a conversation about mm. this, about the fact that people expect, well, I know when I've had conversations with people about being a dietitian, they're like, oh, so you just help people lose weight. Yeah. That's like immediately. Yeah. And you give me a meal plan. Exactly, yeah. 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 Um, as a business, does that frighten? It terrifies me. In fact, my, my first client that I saw wanted a meal plan and it was very challenging for me to have the conversation to say that I actually am not going to do that and explain the reasons why. Um, but I need to get more comfortable having those conversations, but also in a, in a more effective manner, I think, as well. Mm. Without, not place, like, I don't think I placed blame or anything like that, but just communicating it. And so it comes more from their side of view it and like they come up with the reasons why that that might not be an appropriate mm. and I think because obviously as a concept a non-diet approach is quite um publicly unheard of like the general public isn't mm. really aware of it it's kind of difficult to like have to justify the way that you're practicing mm. while you're trying to treat someone you know like they're you're there to help them. You're not there to justify yourself. No. And if they can trust that your methods are evidence-based and what's right for them, great. But a lot of people do have those kinds of questions and you do have to have that conversation before they can fully trust you as a professional. So I think that's, yeah, it's definitely a skill to, to learn. Obviously, you've gone through your degree and then your early career with a young family. Mm. 
how have you found that like navigating that um it's been I feel very grateful for that opportunity um it's been eye-opening to say the least um I guess I had very specific views on how I would parent and feed my child prior to having my child um I think a lot of <laughs> a lot of um potential parents have that um idea as well so I guess my main thing that I there's two main things I guess I wanted to practice what I preached in terms of making sure that I was being kind to my body and not overtly saying anything well, I shouldn't be saying anything negative anyway um that might tra like translate and trigger down to my daughter because that would be heartbreaking to me if she then modeled that behavior so that was kind of a big thing for me um and then also just making sure that we had an exclusive um no judgment household and no food labels and she can eat what she wants when she wants, stop when she's full, doesn't matter what it is. Um, which has been quite challenging, I guess, when, um, you know, even looking at mum's forums and talking about what comes home from, like, school lunch boxes and, I guess, the stigma that's associated with good and bad foods. So I guess trying to set really good foundations now so that she's able to kind of navigate through that. Um, in terms of her nutrition, it's been... Um, interesting for me I guess we did baby led weeding so do you know much about I mean you can talk a little bit yeah, yeah. For, the, for everybody yeah. so I guess it's we I was quite strong that I didn't want to go down um, a puree pathway with her that's just how I personally felt it's not anything professional it's just what I felt was going to be best for her so we did a food first approach and just offered her figure foods and she always just chose what she wanted to eat and how much and whether it was just to explore and play or she actually wanted to have some of the food so that worked really well for us um for a little while <laughs> um but now as she's got a bit older she's a toddler and she's a typical fussy toddler who will eat a variety of food at childcare that she would never ever touch at home and is very simple in her food preference and will only eat one type of vegetable um, so I guess at the end of the day it's made me realize that we're all human and being a dietitian does not change that whatsoever and she has an innate preference for sweet plain foods and that's fine and I know that when she gets older she'll be able to honor her hunger and fullness and eat what she likes so we'll just get through this has it been phase. helpful with having childcare to Force her to be exposed to certain food? I don't know, I guess we've always been that we eat the family meal and whatever it is is what's put in front of her mm. um, and sometimes she might choose just not to have anything to eat and we just deal with that and that's okay um, but I just think it's the social aspect of when she's at childcare with say 10 other kids and they're all sitting around the same table, they're the same age as her, they're all eating the same food, there's just something about that environment that she's more willing to try new things um, so I think I think it's been really good and I guess on days that she's at childcare I don't worry about her intake so she doesn't want to eat dinner when she comes home that's fine I know she's eaten probably three or four serves of whatever they've had at lunchtime so um yeah I know, I know that innately it's developing her food preferences for later in life which is really good so mm. yeah like, I guess it's interesting to see how um again then the other side of it how having um direct exposure and direct experience with you know childhood nutrition how has that changed your practice as a professional um it's made me be more realistic i think um and just kinder to parents i think that i kind of understand um and in fact i was talking to a parent whose daughter's 12 now and she said her food choices sounded very similar to amelia's when she was little and now she eats absolutely everything so it was actually quite comforting on the other side to know that there's light at the end of the tunnel um and i guess coming from it from the other perspective too of being a mum and just being kinder to yourself and setting more really realistic expectations in what you can manage um and also within your own body was there anything about amelia's journey to eating proper food wanted yeah. that you found really interesting to learn about that like you hadn't thought about or learned from uni or learned from other experiences um no I feel I feel really grateful that we never had any difficulties with tongue ties or any um anything like that and our, our journey to get to solid foods was very simple which I know is not the case in a lot of 
you know, a lot of mums. Um, so I'm really grateful for that. Um, I guess what just really got me was just her inquisitive nature and just how she was so fascinated by simple things like broccoli I never knew was juicy and yet she used to suck like all this juice out of it. It was just amazing and just the play and the enjoyment of food and just kind of taking things slower which I guess in our busy day we just kind of we try to eat mindfully but it might not necessarily happen all the time um, but just to watch that wonder and enjoyment and that fascination has just been um, really enlightening I guess it's something that been nice to watch through through her eyes although on the other spectrum now dinner times are very interesting um and sometimes I wish that I ate dinner on my own <laughs> <laughs> because it doesn't make it very enjoyable um, and I often have to like scoff my food down because she want the even though the exact same foods on her plate she'll want what's in my bowl and I will get no food um so that's, that's really been a really interesting journey that I need to shove food in my mouth so I actually get fed. So I'm a bit worried about this second child if he's ever going to be able to eat anything um, <laughs> or she'll just take it all. But um, we're working on that. <laughs> I guess on that note, like, how do you go with role modelling a healthy relationship with food? Mm. Yeah. Um, I guess that I just find that we include a really balanced diet i guess we don't have any labels we eat what we feel like we eat what we have at home um, and make the most of that um i guess that one thing i've been very not strict on but is really important to me is to have family meal times so that we can role model that positive relationship of eating together as a family being present and having conversations and that it's actually the center of the home I guess rather than just something we have on the go um obviously there are some times when we need to eat on the go um but definitely dinner time is a really important important time for us to kind of set those behaviors and um I know Brian you would have seen Amelia eat probably quite a bit um she's quite capable and quite independent in her eating which I'm proud of even though now she's two two and a quarter but um I think for a long time being able to give her that independence and self-feeding and self-regulation has kind of um given her a big advantage i think yeah. totally objectively as well it's been interesting having meal times with her as like a non-child 23 year old <laughs> like just seeing her she'll eat and then she knows when she wants to stop mm. like she just it goes back to that sort of intuitive eating aspect of nutrition and that she's just something switches and, and she's, she's done. done yeah yeah and it's amazing that we have that so innately within us from when we're born even from when mm. they're having milk they just know when to stop when they're full and yet somehow as we get distorted in diet culture and all these messages we lose that and we trust we lose that trust in our intuition and our body mm. which is sad really so i re i'm really hopeful that i can help shape her life so that she doesn't lose that intuition but, but how do you hope to maneuver that it's <laughs> um, a big like it's a yeah. loaded question because mm. obviously it's something that we all grew up with and was shoved in our faces from get-go yeah but how how do you hope to I I guess it's kind of it's it's a very big aspiration whether or not it's realistic <laughs> is another thing I guess there's two things is to help educate and empower her about her own body and her, like if, if people want to give them their opinion like, their own opinion about what she's eating or what her body looks like being able to have the autonomy to say no actually this is this is me and please don't talk about it in that way mm. um and I think that she is quite an assertive young woman so I'm hoping <laughs> that we can we can work on that as she grows older um but also part of it is also educating people that are really in her um close circle of family and friends so um a lot of my family and friends obviously know that I'm a non-diet practitioner but not everyone I guess knows exactly what that means and what those values are so I guess educating them to make sure that they the language that they use is kind and caring around her um, and ultimately I would love for them to feel that way about themselves too yeah, yeah. I think that segues nicely into talking about your husband yes he's in the next room <laughs> <laughs> um, but do you want to tell us a bit about him and his approach to non-diet and that kind of 
aspect if you're comfortable talking. Absolutely. So um, Alex, he is a senior um, emergency registrar. He's about to sit his fellowship exams, which is why he's in the next room studying with noise cancelling headphones. Um, so I guess that's um, it's, it's a really interesting question and it's something I guess we're, we're at the moment of it's okay to have our differences. Um, that's what we're set at. So I guess we've had lots of lengthy, somewhat heated discussions about the non-diet approach and how it fits in not only to his practice, but my practice and also in terms of our family. So um, definitely in terms of our family values, he's on the same page as me. Um, but when it becomes to a professional level, it's quite different. So he supports me in the way that I practice and for my clients. Um, but I guess when he thinks about his work and the role that he plays, it's, I guess it's a struggle to get on the same page. Um, and so for example, I know that he's definitely told patients in an emergency department before that they need to lose weight. And I've discussed with him my thoughts on that and how I don't think that's necessarily appropriate. Um, so we're at a little bit of a standstill. Um, I think our last discussion was, was that we were going to have a night where we both um, sat down with the evidence um, and had a bit of a... Um, close? Yeah, yeah, but I think it's more of a debate. Um, <laughs> so I think post-exams, that's, that's coming. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough, I guess, because it's something that, that I'm so passionate about and innately uh, my values in both my personal and my professional life and so to have that kind of disparity I guess is is difficult um but I think coming from that medical background and I guess the training that he's had as well it's it's understandable um and I don't think that I'll ever stop fighting the fight so I will keep you posted on how we go <laughs> <laughs> <To be> <laughs> <laughs> it's such an interesting topic though how you can kind of sway other practitioners to not necessarily agree with you but just understand where you're coming from because like I work in a orthopedic and sports physio clinic and obviously with like joint replacements arthritis there's a big message to lose weight in order to manage symptoms and kind of having those conversations not only with patients but with other practitioners is really I find really valuable um, but obviously that's, they're not a part of my personal life. So I can mm. kind of dissociate from it and not have to bring that home with me. But I think it's just really interesting that you've had that perspective, bringing it home and then also applying it to your family. Um, and it's interesting to see that he can kind of agree with you on some levels, especially like in the home, Yeah, mm, in the yeah. Home, but then still separate that from his professional. I think it's a, um, I think it's something I saw on social media. It's something about health at every size, but not at every size. <laughs> so I think it, there's there's a limit to what that that knowledge, I guess, um, would apply to in terms of his context. Um, and so I guess it's just about breaking down those barriers. But those um, barriers are quite strong and determined, as are mine. <laughs> so <laughs> definitely work in progress. I think, yeah. and that we've talked about this as well, was that the reason. Liza and I kind of don't really want to go down the clinical path entirely as in that's not going to be the be all and end all of our career and I think a large part of that is because in acute care there's very limited space to practice in non-diet approach as obviously mm. you just said that Alex's approach because of the space he's in almost mm. is that keeping it to a weight-centric environment is almost just a normal course of progression it's more yeah Absolutely. exactly well, yeah exactly efficient's the word but i think you've sort of got to see it especially if you work in private practice almost like a public health thing mm. like it's almost you're stopping people going down a really disordered eating path and then having to rely on a public system to help with what might be the outcomes of that which is i think i personally think is a really good way to view it because you still are sort of doing something that's going to help the system in its entirety hopefully been the run down the path and ideally through having a non-diet approach in your practice and in public health messaging you're going to be able to empower people to actually seek help for their health rather than just for their weight yes and yes. so ideally that will then impact on people like alex seeing you know not seeing as many patients with certain things that they've let get away because their doctor's been more focused on their weight I don't know if that makes yes, sense. Yes, yeah, no, that makes yeah. sense. It's yeah. Whole, you know. I've had this conversation at length with a few people where people who are in a bigger body, they don't want to go to their practitioner because, or their GP or whoever it mm. is, because they're afraid of what 
the doctor's yeah, going to say that. So they'll wait until something really horrific happens to then end up in ED or end up somewhere else in order to get help, which is not the point of the healthcare system, is that we want to start preventing things before it gets becomes a burden. Yeah. And, like, health at every size, the point of it is to focus on their health. Yes. And I think that's what a lot of people miss in that when you're explaining that approach to them they're like oh but if you're not looking at their weight what are you looking at and it's like well all these other things so i think if we can as an industry be more effective at communicating that there'll be a big change but Mm. it's not quite there yet no (laughs) yes it's gonna take a lot of work i suppose about your career motivations Mm. and you're, we've ended up in private practice and you mentioned that's not where you want, where you thought you would end up in yes. way. Sort of, I guess, where do you hope to go with your career, I guess, and work-life balance and that kind of stuff? I guess that's a really good question. <laughs> um, I guess because it's still so fresh, I'm still open to anything, but obviously it has its limitations with my family life coming first. So I guess it's just finding that balance of what career is actually going to work best for me. Um... I'm actually really loving working in the private practice sector. Um, It's completely different from the clinical world and you meet a completely different clientele, um, which is both are very, very rewarding. Um, So I guess I would love to expand my private practice work further. Um, But I also think that my clinical work really supplements my knowledge base um, and gives me that great foundation to apply into my private practice work. So I guess... I don't really have a clear vision of, say, where I want to be in five or ten years in terms of my career. I'm just happy to see where it goes, and I'm really grateful for the opportunities that I've had so far. Mm. I think that's something that's common with a lot of people who have gone or recently graduated from dietetics. It's almost just saying, being a yes man, saying yes to whatever comes up, no matter if it's vaguely related to your field or not related at all, and just going, going down that path. I guess the only thing for me was that I had really certain values that I was quite specific that if it didn't align with my values then I wasn't going to take that position um or if there wasn't I guess a way to potentially weave my values in there um (laughs) hence in the clinical sector I'm really looking forward to hopefully integrating more of the non-diet work into the clinical sector because it's so needed in that space but it's just about having the resources and the support behind me to do that Mm -hmm. so I guess that's an unknown um whereas say in my private practice work I was very upfront in my first interview and said this is the way that I practice and I was aware that I could not have got the position based on that um so I guess being a yes person but making sure it aligned with my personal and professional values Mm -hmm. yeah I think we want to go back a few years now. I'm just looking at question two. <laughs> but studying and building a family, how, how did that go? <laughs> That's a really good question. I guess because I guess I was a bit older, I just found myself in a position in third year, end of second year really, um, where we were ready to have a family. And I guess it was never going to be great timing. And I, and I, I guess... It's never a good time for anybody in their career to take a break um, and start a family, but it was just where we were at, so we made it work. So I remember contacting uni and asking them, saying that we wanted to start trying and could I possibly go part-time or what, what, what what were my options in terms of studying? So I was lucky that they were very supportive of me. Um, There was no part-time option, um, but I was able to take a year off from my studies to raise my daughter, um, which I'm very grateful for, um, and then come back and complete my degree. But the issue was, was that the degree was ending that year. So if I didn't come back then, I would have had to go down um, a master's pathway, which was a big motivator for me not to do that. Yes, yes we've yeah. discussed that it was more expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> much more expensive. Do you think that 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 have like having to go back impacted your decisions around your family to the extent where it changed anything? Um, 
to be honest, uh, fourth year was a bit of a blur. Um, I'm, my, I was very grateful that Alex um, went part-time with work and that his work enabled him to do that. Um, so I was very grateful for that. And then we had Amelia in childcare a couple of days and my wonderful mother-in-law helped out as well wherever she could. So I'm grateful that I had a really big support network behind me in order to facilitate me to finish my degree because that was something that was so important to me. Um, I guess it terrified me to go back. I guess it, there's a lot of mum guilt that comes with that and things that I missed. I remember my last day of clinical placement and I took her to the park afterwards and I actually cried because she was so independent going up the, um, the steps to go down the slide and I'm like what have I missed and what have I done that for but um, at the end of the day I'm really grateful that I got to do that. In terms of changing my practice I think the only thing was was that I was just more efficient with my time. I guess I, I um, made sure that when I got home from uni I had a couple of hours to spend with her before she went to bed so I was quite present in those moments although I, given clinical placement I did fall asleep on the couch quite a lot and I also broke my ankle in that time too so that added another yeah. level, level of complexity. Um, <laughs> so just to add to the chaos. Um, but at the end of the day, I just think it made me more organized and I also decreased my expectations of myself. So I was always someone who had to get the highest mark or at least a high distinction. That was just, was non-negotiable. The past wasn't, wasn't doing well for me. So I guess I went back in with the expectation of just passing and that's okay because at the end of the day, my family's more important. Um, and so yeah, my grades did drop, but I'm still really proud of what I managed to accomplish yeah. mm. and realistically it's not actually going to affect your career at all so. no 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 one's looked at my gpa <laughs> yeah and i think that's something that a lot of students don't realize well i mean it's kind of known but you don't yeah. actually practice it that it's kind of okay to take because i mean everyone's going through different like exactly. situations and, and i think something that needs to get across especially to new grads is that like we say no one looks at your gpa when you're applying for jobs because you've it's a rigorous degree. Every You've got the degree. degree. Everyone's, exactly. everyone's smart. Exactly. If I know that. Um, and I guess what I guess led to me to my jobs is my communication skills and my yes. ability to not not sell myself, so not the right word, but develop relationships with people. Because both jobs that I have were not advertised. It's yeah, who exactly. I know or who I contacted to kind of make those opportunities. So yes. that's the most important thing, but yet that's not really um, portrayed either no <laughs> no it's very, it might be told in the last week of uni exactly yeah. and that's what this whole podcast was born out of was that we kind of left feeling very very under equipped to deal with all of that mm -hmm. and sort of being able to talk to people about their journeys and what they've done and what sort of life experiences have led to what their career is is really really important because i think the other issue is that a lot of especially in the dietetics world where everyone's quite type a is they kind of put all this pressure on uni and forget about all these other skill sets that you develop through work, volunteering, whatever it is you're doing, and being able to funnel that into your career as well. Mm. And like, as you said, our degree was a full-time degree. Mm. Like it's, a, it's basically taking up hours that are a full-time job. So you don't really have much time to kind of develop those skills out of it. Like, yeah. I mean, obviously you had a lot going on when, when you were studying, like I was working <laughs> on the weekends just to be able to pay rent mm. that kind of yeah. thing but I found on graduating that it's actually like I'm glad that I was working because in that job I learned skills that I can then apply to whatever like where else wherever else I end up so I think it's really important to kind of be able to take a step back and go look like yes I'm studying yes you know this is really important and I need to pass but if you're not it, it like allowing yourself to build those other skills then you're not really going to benefit from having that degree exactly. absolutely absolutely and I guess also putting yourself out there in positions that you're not necessarily comfortable with I guess networking to me is terrifying and <laughs> it's not my strong suit at all I think once I went up to someone and said I follow you on Instagram um and that was not my, my best <laughs> ever um so <laughs> would not recommend that um but at least trying to get yourself out there and and make relationships that's definitely not easy it's definitely a work in progress but it, it's so important well i guess we've already touched on it a little bit but in terms of time management how have you found that you're like obviously you've got so much going on how do you how have you found that approach like it's exhausting <laughs> 
Um, to be honest, it's, it's really, really exhausting and I find that the person that gets affected the most is me. So I'm always been a person that thinks about everybody else first and how I can accommodate them above my own needs. And particularly now as a mum, of course that's at the forefront. So it's been a really big learning curve for me and particularly I've got Alex studying for his exams too. So it's really quite difficult for me to say, you know what, I've just got to go to a Pilates class or a yoga class. Like that doesn't exist for me at the moment. So it's about how can I make time for self-care practices at home particularly when Amelia's gone to bed, particularly when I want to go to bed, um, and just kind of setting a little bit of time aside for myself. So um, I think becoming a mum just makes me more organised than I ever thought I could be. Um, and I'm definitely a list person, um, but I'm really working on that balance. And then once this bug comes along, I have no idea how I'm going to juggle everything. But I'm sure I will adapt. <laughs> and I think... Obviously, we've touched on you doing private practice, clinical, social media. <laughs> You're doing a whole lot of stuff. With that social media aspect, you've mentioned that you don't spend as much time on it anymore. Mm. Previously, what was your experience with that? Was it like all-consuming? Was it a, I'm just going to go on here to post my own stuff? What was your balance with um, that? I think it was just more that it took away from me being present in the moment with my family. Not that I was on it all day, every day. But I've just made a very conscious decision that I'm not really on it during the day unless Amelia is asleep or unless once she's gone to bed at night. So that way I could be focused by full attention on her and then anything else could wait till, till later. So that's kind of where that's come from. And also I was just exhausted and particularly in this pregnancy I've been so tired. I didn't have even the mental capacity to give that the space. Mm. Um, and yeah, and I guess at the end of the day realising that I guess the relationships that I have with people in real life are far more important to me to me personally um, than what social media is. Although I know you can make wonderful connections on there, which then translate into real life yes. connections too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned just before that you know that stigma around being that type of mum, mm -hmm. um, especially yeah in yeah. forums and that kind of thing. How have you found that um, in terms of your own social media content? Because I mean, if someone's like for me, who I'm like not as close to your family as Bran is, you it's pretty easy to believe you've kind of got it all together. <laughs> but you know the beauty of social media. Exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of like how do you approach not giving that kind of unrealistic expectation to your life? Because like I know that you 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 know, you're busy and you've got everything going on, but having that kind of come through on your social media feed. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that I'm, I'm trying more to make sure that it's not so curated um, and that even if it is a pretty picture that it might have a caption that relates to some person. I don't want people to think that all we do is drink smoothies and bake and that there's no tantrums and I'm never exhausted and I never say that I can't do it because that happens, that happens a lot um, and I get fatigued. But I guess something that really helps me is my support networks around me and that I reach out to. So making sure that I'm surrounded by people who um, get that and get that I need a break um, is really important. Uh, but I guess that I need to be more active in translating that to social media mm. because it's particularly as, as a new mum, I guess you have all these expectations of what motherhood should be like and what you should be able to mm. accomplish. Um, and I guess that was one of my main concerns going into it was just to be gentle on myself and be kind to myself and just getting through each day is okay. You don't need to cook elaborate meals or anything as long as your babe's happy at the end of the day and you're happy. That's all that matters. So, um, I guess social media can be dangerous in that way that people portray that life's perfect and it's so easy and it's not. So it's definitely something I'm working on. Yeah. But I think as well, like it's not really something that's um, very well understood about social media that it is a highlight reel mm. because of course you're not going to share all the tantrums and the down, like no one wants to hear that. Yeah. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to look yeah. like you're complaining about everything, but I think yeah. there is a fine line between, you know, being realistic about it and then also or on the other side, portraying this life that doesn't really exist. Exactly, mm. exactly. There's so many struggles that go on that people just don't don't know about that isn't mentioned. Um, and I guess social media is a fantastic way to raise more awareness, but it's also about having the courage to do that mm. too. Do you think that like being surrounded by people in a similar situation to you on social media, do you think that impacts 
your own kind of, I guess, self-confidence in you, the way that you're going about things? Um, I make sure that I only follow people that make me feel good about myself or mm -hmm. what I'm doing. Does that sound terrible? I just mean, it like, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't mean that I just want positive reinforcement, but if there's someone there that's um, promoting something that I don't agree with or is too too curated that I won't follow them but I'll only follow them if it generally makes me feel good if I look at their page if that makes sense mm -hmm. um so that's also been something that I've done kind of in the last year is I've just made sure particularly with my dietetics page it's only things that align with my values that I follow and if something pops up that I don't agree with I will unfollow yes yeah yeah has your follow like who the people people you follow hmm. has that changed from I suppose the beginning of social media or the conception of mm. Instagram to going through dietetics, having a kid, what like what Absolutely. is your social media like? So my, my personal social media is a whole lot of mummy bloggers, <laughs> <laughs> which I love. I love and I get um, fantastic tips and tricks um, and just you know general craft baking ideas or like fun family activities so that's generally what the predominant of my social media is or beautiful kids clothes um, that I really don't need to be buying <laughs> um, so that's absolutely absolutely changed um, and then even get yeah, even going through searching through something on my social media the other day went through and unfollowed all these companies I'm like I don't even know what you are like <laughs> yeah it's, it's been around for a really long time but to even yeah yeah the content of what I post on my own page is so so different mm. to what I previously used to post um what did it used to be like because i feel like we yeah kind of your social media journey or like your life mm. journey halfway almost at this like halfway point yeah of, like, you're about to have a child mm. and like starting dietetics and it's been that half of your life yeah what was it like before that? previously it was a lot about our holidays which i'm really <laughs> grateful for um but also there was a lot of like fitness and food and like i remember i had one that was like a one hour exercise it's like four when I work out it's like four percent of your day what's your excuse like <laughs> stuff like that so stuff that I would sleep, never sleep, ever sleep. Yeah, ever post I'm like because I have other things in my life <laughs> um, so that was what it was previously um and it's definitely um changed um and I guess the reason I've got two social media accounts was a lot of the reason people follow me on my current account is for motherhood so they weren't particularly interested in my nutrition information, which is completely fine. And that's why I created another platform to promote that. Um, not promote, but just sure. provide. Yeah, yeah, yeah provide. exactly. It's a, it's a touchy subject, I think. Social media is hard to navigate, especially because it's kind of grown as we've come into adulthood and as we've, mm. you know, it's really impacted the way that we practice as well. Because obviously, like, you know, 10 years ago, it didn't really exist. So as the like front line of practitioners that are now involved in it yes we kind of have to be aware of that so i think it'll be good to finish on i guess what does food mean to you and your family and how has it played a role in your life so food to me is everything particularly as it's my career as well i think about food all the time i'm always thinking about what i'm gonna cook when we're gonna have people over when we're going out which now is very limited um but food is a really really big part of my life and it's a really big part of my family's life as well so um alex his heritage is greek and italian so we get the best of both worlds in terms of amazing food um but it's also been such a big part of their family in terms of bringing everybody together so um that's something that's been really nice for me i guess i came from a really small family and now it's nice to have these really big family events which are just centered around beautiful delicious wholesome food so um i guess that's what it means to me it's also a way to, for me to bond with my daughter too through cooking and getting her involved in the process um yeah are there any like favorite dishes from like family gathering um so yaya's chocolate and walnut cake you know you're special when she makes that for your birthday. Like I knew I was in when she made that for me for my 21st birthday. It was, it was yes. the best thing. So that, that is the most amazing cake and I'm looking forward to she's making it again for um, my sister-in-law's engagement in a couple of months time and I cannot wait. Um, so definitely there's also my mother-in-law's potato pizza, which I would never find a better potato pizza in my life. That is perfect. Um, and then I guess the other thing that brings really fond memories is the day that we had Amelia, my in-laws brought in um, 
uh, Brunetti's cannoli. So um, that is good cannoli. It was amazing cannoli, and so we had it again on her birthday. And I think when this bug comes along again, we'll have it again. Um, so I think that's just something that's a bit symbolic to us as well. And then the other thing is, is I always make Rocky Road on her anniversary because Alex loves it. So oh, yeah, that's sweet. Nice. Yeah. How food can have so much significance to like family like events. Yeah. Oh, it's absolutely. Not, yeah. Yeah. And even I was sick the other day and I remember posting something on social media of how I have plain chips and lemonade when I'm sick because that's what my grand did when I was sick growing up. Um, and how that even made me feel a little bit closer to her even though she's no longer with us and it's just something, a tradition that I keep carrying on even yeah. though I know there's no scientific cases <laughs> behind it. Um, but I'll the keep doing it. kills germs. Yeah, totally. And the lemonade, I don't know. <laughs> no. Oh, that's a beautiful thing to end on. Yeah. Aww. Well, thank you for being a guest. No, thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, um, just to wrap up, where can people find you? Um, so they can find me. My website is Joyful Nutrition. So Joy full f-u-l-l nutrition.com.au they can find me on the instagram handle at joyful nutrition um and also tess handrinos they're probably the easiest ways to find me yay <laughs> thank you so much for being on our podcast i really appreciate like obviously taking up the time out of your busy busy life busy busy, busy life <laughs> getting rid of a child for <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like, i feel like she might have hindered the podcast so. <laughs> maybe next time yeah <laughs>